Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. We are in conversation today uh, with Jim Reed. Jim is an accomplished executive. He's a trusted advisor to seven CEOs, and he's certainly navigated significant change and really immense pressures to build out winning teams that outperform the competition that he faced. He's coached, he's advised, he's developed thousands of aspiring leaders as CHRO, Chief Human Resources Officer, Chief People Officer, heads of VP, heads of uh, HR, in organizations such as Rogers Communication, Husky Injection Molding Systems, and MDS. Interestingly, uh, Jim was originally trained as a military pilot, and he built his expertise working alongside some of the best thinkers and uh, management professionals out there, including the likes of Jim Collins, Jeffrey Pfeffer, John Cotter, and Dave Ulrich, all idols of mine. Uh, in 2021, Jim was recognized as one of the 50 best executives in Canada by the Globe and Mail's Report on Business magazine. Jim has recently published his book, Leading to Greatness, Five Principles to Transform Your Leadership and Build Great Teams. Those five principles we're going to get into today, but Jim, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for taking the time. Let's, why don't we start with first the book. What inspired you after having such a, uh, an illustrious and profound career helping so many different leaders and team members? Here you are publishing a book that is crystallizing, I would argue, you know, what you've learned into these five principles. So what, what was the impetus for the book? And uh, we'll, let's, let's start there. Dan, first of all, thanks very much for having me on today. It's great to be with you. And yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a, it's been a journey. You know, we all, what do they say? We're the sum of our experiences in life. And for me, uh, I've been so fortunate. I started, as you mentioned, my career was in the military. I was a pilot. Uh, being in the military and serving my country made, definitely made me a better person. Um, I learned a lot about discipline. I left the military, went into operations, ran a business, um, so learned a lot about leadership and culture. And then later in my career, moved into HR and the CHRO role and learned how to be a trusted advisor and learned a lot about large scale change. But all along the way, my passion has always been around building leaders and teams and culture and just helping people grow. I mean, it's always been that way for me. So I, I uh, quite a few years ago, you mentioned Jim Collins. He was, he's been probably next to my wife, Patty, one of the most influential people in my life. And he challenged me during the Good to Great research to write a book on leadership. And we had these debates about, you know, what kind of difference did leadership make? You know, he felt at some point in time, either when things went well, leaders got the credit, when things went bad, leaders got blamed. And, you know, my view was being in organizations that leaders set the tone. So I've always had this passion to figure out, you know, what do the great leaders do differently? What's the difference between good and great? And trying to find the answer to that question is really why I wrote the book. Well, I wondered where and how Jim came to be sort of the, uh, the, the book cover blurb. And that, that explains a lot. Now, if we, before we get into the book, um, wh what was it, I suppose, through good to great that, that you learned and you practice or employed, you know, in some of the roles that you had as you lead huge organizational culture and leadership challenges? Yeah, you know, I, I, I met, um, first of all, I met Jim at Stanford, you know, when I, when I was, when I was at MDS, the CEO there, we were kind of waiting, we had a big growth agenda, we were about 500 million in sales at the time, and we grew the company to two and a half billion. 
And he, I was running a business. He took me out of the GM position and moved me into the head of HR responsibility just before this growth started. And to help develop me, they sent me to Stanford on this program in organizational change when I, which is where I met Jim Collins. And I, I think, you know, look, I think for me, my military service, um, you know, being, being in operations, uh, running a business, I started to learn, I started to observe that um, the best leaders just were always successful, no matter what challenge they took on. And I, I started to get very curious about what is it that they're doing differently? How do they think about leading? How do they build teams? How do they think about organizational change? And that's what really kind of drew me into this world. And, and, and then you start to see when you're out there, you know, I'm, I consider myself to be a practitioner. I'm in the field trying to win, trying to compete, you know, trying to build a winning organization. And so you really start to understand that there's something about knowing a great leader when we see one or a led one that really drew me into the space. Well, as we get into the book itself, then it's amazing. The uh, first principle uh, really, really warmed my heart, <laughs> if I'm speaking selfishly, Jim, because uh, principle number one is defining a crystal clear understanding of values and purpose and never deviating. So values and purpose to me are akin to table stakes. You know, uh, if the if the table, at least in our house, doesn't have oil and balsamic for the heirloom tomatoes, uh, what like that? What's happening? This you don't you don't have a table in our house anymore. And so values and purpose to me are at the core, in essence, right? And so, tell me a bit about why perhaps uh, they are number one in your principle number one here, but also um, what what does it what does it mean? How do you unpack that in defining those crystal clear understandings of value and purpose? Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that I've observed, you know, Dan, you've probably done the same thing. Like I've coached, you know, executives, um, CEOs, top top C-suite executives over over time. And one of the things that I began to realize was that you know the the foundation that the the best of the best built their leadership on was having this clarity around personal values and life's purpose. And, you know, what I, what I observed was, and what I learned through the good, great research and working with Jim was that, you know, there's a, there's a framework, call it a, um, a framework for success that, that these leaders think about. And, and it's a paradox of change. And on the one hand, you know, you never change the core uh, and the core being defined as your core values and your core purpose. And that's the foundation you build build your, your life on and your leadership on. Mm. And so what I found with these top level executives who were outperforming all the time was when I asked them a question about, well, what, what are your values? So how do you define your personal values and what's your purpose in life? They, they had done the work and they had such clarity that they were able to get back to me in 30 or 45 seconds, you know, what their personal beliefs were and lots of them were human values but they also had performance values in there like you know i deliver or commitment to deliver and this and and they were very clear they'd done the homework around what they wanted to accomplish in life and what kind of difference they wanted to make and this framework acted as a as a as as a, a frame for them to make decisions and for their behaviors and that's one of the reasons why 
they showed up so consistently was they had this clarity, crystal clarity around personal values and life's purpose that the, that, that some of the uh, leaders who didn't quite match up to them didn't have, they were, the others were sort of clear, but they really hadn't made the commitment right around um, so that when, when, you know, it's easy to be your values are easy. Values really get tested, you know, during the tough times, right? When things get tough. And if you haven't done the work and, and committed and have clarity, then it's not going to, they're not going to be able to serve you when you really need them. So yeah, that for me was the leadership foundation. And it's, it's got to be a foundation that's strong enough to hold a hundred story skyscraper, you know, we'll take the good weather and take the tough weather, the level five hurricanes. And it's that kind of uh, rock solid foundation that the best leaders build their leadership around. Speaking of natural disasters, uh, there are some some leaders out there that they they they, they I guess there's the, the hurricane that hits them, and they wish that they had have had that coaching session, that discussion about you know the the implementation or the creation of their values and a said purpose. So as an executive who is helping other executives, how do you? Approach the conversation with executives who might have that ego or that sense of values and purpose. You know, that's an HR thing, or oh, values and purpose. That's that's something for someone else that's climbing the ladder, not someone who's already an executive. So it can be perhaps tender in that in that conversation. But what what have you learned, or how do you approach those situations? I found that a lot of the coaching I've done with top level executives, when they come to me to get some perspective or just to listen to them, they're, they're often, you know, they're stuck on, on an issue. They've got a problem. Mm. And what often happens, sometimes it's with their boss. Sometimes they think that maybe the fit's not the best for them in terms of the work that they're doing. And so um, one of the things that, that I try to coach them around is by having clarity of, of personal values and purpose, you're better able to, you know, pick the company that you want to work in and also better able to assess the leader that you work for. Because there's nothing worse than being in a situation where your value, your personal values aren't aligned with the manager that you report to. So I found that often in these situations, when people come to me and they don't have the kind of clarity, they're, they're describing a situation which leads us into a conversation about having more clarity. And I think when you point that out to them and that becomes, you know, that, that having that clarity helps them determine fit, not just for them and the organization that they're in today, but also fit in terms of, you know, building out their team. And having the same values, having being aligned on values and purpose doesn't mean that you think you think the same or that you are the same. In, in fact, my experience has been it's the opposite. When you're aligned on values, um, you're better able to have the debate that you need to have to make the best business decisions. So I find it's almost counterintuitive. People say, well, we don't want to have people that are you know, hired in our, in our own likeness. Well, actually, that may be true in terms of strengths. But on the value side, being aligned on values allows you to build trust faster, to have psychological safety that you need, and to, and to really have the kind of debates that you need to make the, the best business decisions. I love that. It's sort of like the team of rivals concept and uh, eliminating group thing. You can be aligned yeah. on values and purpose, but that allows for the more open and honest 
uh, debates to occur in the room, if you will, so that we all succeed or the team succeeds or both, right? Exactly. And, you know, one of, one of the most common, uh, one of the toughest issues for leaders when they show up and they're, they're stuck and things like that is when they're working for a leader that, especially if they believe in being respectful and they believe in, you know, getting behind people in their development, the hardest situations for people to deal with is when they're working for a leader who can be uh, disrespectful or be a bit of a bully. Like those situations, you know, cause some of the greatest dissonance, right, for talented leaders, right? And, and often, you know, they come to the own conclusion that it's not a good fit for them. And what do they say? Always change a losing game. And they need to move on and find a better position for them or a better fit in terms of values alignment. Well, and it can become also the situation, right, Jim, of what I call ATNA, all talk, no action. Yeah. Talk a good yeah. game of that, of, sorry, of values and purpose, but you don't demonstrate the behavior willingly. Yeah. What do you get? You get 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's all about behavior. Okay. Principle number two, what I love is that you've delineated something that I always uh, say, at least the people that I'm working with, uh, organizations, leaders, what have you. And your principle is recognizing core strengths and aligning with passion. And what I'm getting at is that you've delineated purpose from passion. So yeah. if principle number one is values and, and purpose. And principle number two is about your core strengths and aligning with passion. Tell us a bit about that. But I'm just, I'm letting you know, the cat out of the bag is that I love how you delineated. Yeah, purpose from I think you know, this comes from, from the good to great, like one of the great benefits I had through my career was I worked on Jim with Jim Collins on three of his big research projects. Good to great was the first one. I was a critical reader on that project. He has a core research team and then he has people like us, Dan, right. That are out there in the field trying to build companies, testing out his principles and his concepts to see if they work. And so I was a critical reader on good to rate, good to great and how the mighty fall. And then his last one, great by choice, the strategy framework in good to great was um, a three circle framework and circle one. And it was really about company strategy. And Jim's belief in the research was that the good to great transition companies had clarity and focus, right? And, and, and they, so, so what, what I did was I kind of took that three circle framework and I said, well, if it works for building a company, why wouldn't it work for building a career or a life? So strengths and passion are two of the three circles. The circle one is, and I, and I, it starts with the premise that in the, on the assembly line of life, like we're all given certain gifts and it's about discovery. And you have to discover not what you're good at, but what you can be differentiated around. So that's why I say it's strengths and passion, but it's really not what you're good at in terms of strengths. It's what are your deep strengths? What does your DNA say? that you can be differentiated around and you can excel at. So that's kind of circle one. Circle two is when you get up in the morning, what do you love to do in terms of your life passion? I would say, and this is beyond friends and family. It's what are you creative? Do you like to do individual work? Do you like to solve problems? Do you like to build teams? Do you like to build companies or cultures? Do you like to analyze things? So, and I always say like, when you get up in the morning, when does work not feel like work? What motivates you, right? When you, when you jump out of bed and you can't wait to tackle the day's problems. And so I believe that strengths and passion, that the most successful people play to their strengths and passion every day. And that becomes their, their best path for success. And again, if I look at good leaders versus great leaders, 
the, the really consistently excellent performers know themselves. They have, again, clarity on strengths and passion and they don't deviate ever. So it, it, to give you an example, um, I remember sitting in a meeting one day and a, 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 an executive recruiter said, oh, you've got this great job, you know, it's a perfect job for you, Jim. You know, it's, it's a chief marketing officer job in, in one of the banks. And I remember the executive saying to this recruiter, oh, you know what, that's not me. Go talk to Dan. That's Dan? Dan is a great marketer. He's amazing and he's passionate about it. I'm, I'm an operations guy, right? I like to run operations. That's where my wheelhouse is. But Dan's wheelhouse is what you're looking for. Go talk to Dan. So they never take on something that doesn't play to their strengths or passion. And therefore, that is one of the reasons why they're consistently successful. So what's interesting is that then when we get to principle number three, it seems like there's just another natural segue because uh, as, it, as it, I quote, identify and engage the right people and get them in the right seats because no leader excels at everything. So what you're uh, presumably recognizing in that principle is play to your strengths as you suggest in principle number two. However, a leader's incumbent responsibility is to also build the team and make sure that you are, uh, whether it's a team of rivals or to ensure that you have all the different talent sets inside of your team in the right seats. Otherwise, you're just a group of one uh, having all the same skill sets. So is that fair or tell us a bit more about how- I think that's it's 100% accurate. I mean, if you think back to our conversation on values and purpose, right? Values and purpose identifies not people, but the right people, right? So you want to have alignment on values, shared values, and, and at least be inspired by the purpose that the company is trying to build. Deep strengths and passion identifies not just the right people, but the right seat. And one of the things that, that the, the most talented leaders understand is that up to a certain point in your career, your success is determined by yourself. But beyond a certain point in your career, your success is determined by the strength of your team. And it's your team that becomes, you know, in a sense, that team and that team's culture is the execution engine for what you're accountable to deliver on. So, you know, being able to assess fit, being able to assess who are the right people, you know, to, to work with me on my team and to occupy whatever seat on the, whatever position they're going to play, um, is, is a skill. It's almost a signature quality of the best, of the best leaders that they, they consistently make the right people decisions. And that also includes not just who to bring on the team and how to develop the team and how to build a high performance team, but it also includes, um, when they need to make a decision to move somebody off the team. Ah, so the, those that either are underperforming or not performing up to up to snuff, or I'm assuming then, Jim, you know, the leader has looked at that individual and said, you know what, I, I really want you to graduate up and out yeah. into another role, either in the exactly. team or the organization. Exactly. Could work in either different way. But it's, it, I think that I, I think I, I, I've come to the conclusion, and Dan, you've done a lot of work in this space too, that the, making the right people decisions are some of the most important decisions that a leader makes. Yeah. And, you know, kind of first who, then what, you know, you re, if you get it right, 
And when you get it right, it, it's magic. And when you can't get it right, then you're always dealing with, you know, kind of crazy team dynamics and issues and issues around delivery and performance. Um, and most leaders, I would say, um, are okay at this, but, but you, you've got to be, you've got to be outstanding at it. Okay. So we're up to principle number four. And what I also love about this, I mean, we seem to be cut from the same cloth is I will say to people that you have 168 hours in a week, but don't think of that as time. You have 168 hours or uh, sets of opportunities to demonstrate a behavior that shows that you're more than just X, Y, or Z. So if, if I'm taking the principle to, which is learn to manage energy, not time, to become fully engaged in life and thus leadership, which is your principle, what I'm also uh, getting from that, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have these opportunities as a leader to not be back to back to back to back, to not just manage your calendar, to not just manage thus your time, because perhaps it's not even a time management issue. It's actually a, an energy or, or a behavioral issue that you should be more worried about. So tell us a bit and unpack principle number four for us. Yeah, I, I mean, engagement is really the, uh, it's the fuel in performance, right? I mean, I think that, um, you know, as a leader, you have to be fully engaged yourself in order to engage others. Like people aren't going to put their heart and soul into things and give you 100% engagement if, if you as the leader are not there yourself. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, I... I attended this workshop years ago by a sports psychologist by the name of Dr. Jim Lehrer. He wrote a book called The Powerful Engagement, and he started his career by helping athletes. He didn't know anything about the sport. He just took athletes that were professional athletes. I think Marco Mira was one. Gabriella Sabatini was another one. And he, he helped them understand that high performance is about, as you said, energy management, not time management. So without knowing anything about the sport, he just got them mentally prepared, you know, to be able to, to be at their peak performance when they needed to be at their peak performance. And from af and, and he took people, took these athletes from 60 in the world to number one. He did it like multiple times. Then he worked with Navy SEAL teams and SWAT teams. And eventually he worked with um, corporate executives. So you know, this adage that life is a marathon and you have to pace yourself. He changed my thinking about, I used to think that way. And his view was more, life is a series of sprints followed by recovery. And he, he kind of taught people how to manage their energy and to balance off, you know, people would say stress is bad. His view would be stress is good as long as it's followed by recovery. So for individual executives who are dealing with high pressure situations all the time, we're more like a smartphone, you know, like, like we, uh, it, the smartphone's going to work fantastic for you during the day, as long as you charge it at night for the next day. That's good. And so this relationship between stress and recovery and stress is good in the sense that it builds capacity and capability in individuals as they, as they learn to grow and take on more responsibility and challenge uh, as leaders. But if you don't, if you don't recover, and rebuild your energy reserves, then you won't be at your peak performance when you need to be. And therefore you won't be as successful as you, as you can be as, as, as an executive. 
So this whole notion there, I think there's a science around engagement at the individual level that I try to get into in the book and get people thinking differently about what engagement is. And then there's a whole methodology around, you know, building high performance team and have a framework for that. And, you know, for me, um, you know, the best, the, the biggest driver, almost not always, but often for engaging people is, is their own personal growth and development. And so as a leader, the more competent you become at getting behind the people who work for you is grow, personal growth and development, the more you help them grow and be successful, the more engaged they will be on your team. So there's two sides. One is, you know, get yourself ready to, to perform at an elite levels that, that executives are required. And the second part, get that sorted out. And once you get that sorted out, then there's a whole science, I think, a methodology around how you engage others. And I think both the best leaders are excellent at both. Love it. Well, okay, so now you're up to principle number five and I'll just read it. And then, cause I think it almost summarizes what it is to then put it into to action, uh, the other four. So you're, you're, you're saying to develop a consistent inner discipline uh, to achieve exceptional results. So how, how do you define that inner discipline in order to execute ultimately not just on the other four principles, but uh, in anything else that the leaders is want to do. Yeah, and I, I think you captured it nicely. Like I think like this just notion of discipline, right? And, um, and how people think about their life and their work and their family relationships and their personal relationships and their work activities. They're, they just bring, they bring a level of discipline that, that most people don't do. You know, what I, what I like to think about is if you bring the four, if these four principles were legs of a stool and you brought all four of them together and you put them together, they're, they're stronger than they are on their own. And the discipline really binds, you know, the clarity around values and strengths and passion, making the right people decisions and engagement together into a, into a kind of an operating system, right? And for me, what I've noticed, I talk in the book about what are the discipline behaviors that the best leaders tend to live. And one is, you know, they're mission focused, like they're unbelievably focused on the mission mission. It's like they're, they're locked, right? On if they're, if they commit to do something, they, they don't stop until they achieve it. Like they just have this mission focus that, that is extraordinary. If they get knocked, they have grit, they're resilient. If they get, they get knocked down all the time, just like we all do, but they get right back up and go right at it. You know, um, they're humble. And it's all about we, not I. Like they have, it, it may not be 100% we, but it's always 5149. Like their ambition is always centered for the team, more for the team than for themselves. You know, they're great storytellers. Um, and they, they're, they're great communicators. They, 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 they turn their message into stories that people can remember and relate to. So it's those kinds of things that, um, Oh, and they're builders, you know, the best leaders that I've seen are, you know, they're builders, not dividers. They lift people up. They don't push people down. So that the discipline piece really talks about what are the kind of leadership behaviors that, you know, bring it all together in terms of, you know, consistent, consistently being able to drive, you know, the, the drive across the goal line to deliver on the result. And so, um, yeah, I, 
for me, the, you know, what I, what I tried to do, Dan, in the book was bring together the best research that's out there on high performance and couple it together with 30 years of observation of what the best leaders do differently than, not to say that the average leaders are, are they're pretty good, right? But, but there's something unique and special about this, these, these leaders who are performing at the top of their game consistently. And when you work for them, you know that they're, they're, they're showing up in a different way, in a special way, and you feel that followership for them. You've, you've had seven CEOs that you've yeah. served, Jim. Uh, you've had lots and lots of peers and you've supported thousands of leaders you know, down um, the channel, right? Within the organizations that you have held CHO roles at. What, what's the one principle that you see in this day and age as we enter a post-pandemic endemic world that you think needs the most work uh, of an individual at whatever level they're at in the organization? You know, I think the, um, I think the, uh, the leaders that were the most have been, have had the most impact, I think, during the pandemic have, you know, shown up with, you know, with compassion and empathy. And they've also been able to adjust their communication frequency, like up, up their communication very significantly, right? In terms of, you know, helping people, you know, to kind of get through a, a very difficult time. I mean, we've been in this pandemic, hopefully we're, we're kind of moving out of it, but it's two years, people are exhausted, they're tired, their tolerance for things is much lower. And the leaders who created, um, who cared, you know, if, if people want organizations aren't going to, people aren't going to care for their organization unless their leaders care for them. And I remember seeing a, 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 a title that Simon Sinek had on one of his books. It was Leaders Eat Last, I think was the name of the, the book. And I mean, there's some great messages in that book, but for me, the title said it all. You know, you really have to care about your people. And if you do, you'll get a return back 20-fold what you put into it. And I think that in the world going forward, you know, where the competition for talent intensifies and it's going to be hard to get good people and keep good people, it's that kind of leadership that's going to help organizations win. Love it. Last, last question, Jim, and then you've been so gracious with your time. We'll let you go. And uh, we'll, we want to know where to find more about you in the book. But if I'm an up coming leader, so I'm, you know, mid management, let's say, and I'm yearning or, or pining for the director or VP role, what do you suggest that I need to be doing from these principles uh, to attain that uh, extra responsibility and thus, you know, um, a, a role that's more than what I have today? Yeah, I, I think the nice thing about the book is it's a step-by-step -step guide, right, to help you build a customized development plan. Mm -hmm. So what I believe that if you want to become a better pilot, you have to develop against a framework. If you want to become a better leader, you need to pick a, 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 a simple, easy-to-understand framework that you can stay with for time, over time, you know. And, and so if you're an aspiring leader, the thing that I was trying to do was was to kind of simplify a model for leadership in life, right? That works, it's, it's good for work and it's good for living your life. And you can kind of look at it and say, okay, where am I strong and where am I weak? And kind of build a plan to, to get stronger across all five dimensions, of course. But most people are 
strong in some and need some work in others. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've suggested in the book, you know, this five principles as a leadership framework to help you develop to be the best leader that you can possibly be. And there's also some really good stuff in the book about, you know, high, models for high performance teams like Lencioni has a model, I suggest a model. But you need, if you want to become a great coach, you need a coaching model. You just have to pick a model and stick with it and develop against it. So that would be, Dan, that would be my advice for people who are earlier in their career and who really want to accelerate. And of course, it comes down to, you know, high performance at the end of the day is, is a personal choice. You know, you have to choose to go to a, diff, to go to a better place. So that's sounds, where it goes. It sounds a lot like, you know, the consistent inner discipline that, uh, that you point out in principle number five. Sure. So Jim, uh, the book is Leading to Greatness, Five Principles to Transform Your Leadership and Build Great Teams. Uh, where can people find out more about you, the book, and so on? Well, you can find it um, anywhere in uh, at your favorite bookstore. It's all out there and distributed. You can get it online at Amazon um, and in Canada at Indigo. And uh, you pick it up and hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, you'll pick some things out of there that'll help you. And you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at any time. I'll, I'm there to help you and, and, uh, and do anything I can to help people get to, a, to an even better place in their life. Amazing. Jim, thanks so much for this. Uh, I've learned a great deal. The book's fantastic. Folks, uh, pick up a copy, Leading to Greatness, Five Principles to Transform Your Leadership and Build Great Teams by the one and only Jim Reed. Thanks very much, Jim. Thanks a lot, Dan.